The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. From our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon because no one else would take the job. I'm a national democratic strategist, a columnist for the Hill in Washington, DC, and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. If you have any uh, ideas or suggestions about Deadline DC, or if you'd like to find out more about my political polling company, you can reach me on Twitter, at Brad Bannon, all one word. We have a great show for you today. In the first half hour, our guest is Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Dem Daily at Demlist. Uh, she's here to discuss tomorrow's big California recall election, uh, where Governor Gavin Newsom's uh, political future is hanging in the balance. Then in the second half hour on the provocative progressive political panel, our guests are Edwith Theogene, the advocacy director at uh, Generation Progress, uh, and our own executive producer and progressive activist, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, but before we start the show, we're going to play this clip uh, from uh, Vice President Harris campaigning on behalf of Governor Newsom in California. We are here to say today we fight for Gavin Newsom. That was Vice President uh, Harris uh, campaigning in her home state of California to rally the Democratic base for Governor Gavin Newsom, who tomorrow faces a recall election. To discuss the re-election in this uh, first half hour, our guest is Kimberly Scott, uh, the publisher of Dem Daily at uh, Demlist. Uh, she, uh, her political column, her daily political column is dedicated to educating and informing the public about the Democratic Party policy and politics. 
sign up for the column is at www.demlist.com. The Twitter handle is Demlist, all one word. Welcome to Deadline DC, Kim. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, it's the California recall election, which uh, happens tomorrow. Uh, has been a long and winding road. Uh, it's had its uh, ups, downs, and plateaus for Governor Newsom. Uh, but let's talk about the beginning. How did Newsom get into trouble in the first place, and what motivated the attempt to recall him? Well, the recall process is very unique in California. There's only It's only one of 19 states that allows gubernatorial recall. The difference with California and the other states is the threshold for obtaining signatures in most states is 25% of the previous gubernatorial race. In California, it's only 12%, which makes it closer to reality. Um, but it's it's common fare. Every governor since 1960 has faced recall attempts. Now, historically, there's only four in the country that have ever actually made it to the ballot. One other, and the only successful one, was actually in 2003 in California when uh, Gray Davis, Democrat, was successfully recalled and Arnold Schwarzenegger was selected uh, as the new governor. So the moment that you win an election, there is some attempt at a recall out there in California. Now, the difference here with Newsom is the pandemic. Um, he, whereas those efforts were in place, he started to take hits for handling of the pandemic, slow uh, rollout of vaccinations. And then the true turning point, which made this more of a reality, is was uh, last November when he was photographed without a mask on at a private party uh, at the French Laundry, which is one of the country's most elite rest restaurants, while the rest of the state was on restrictions. And there's a huge backlash to that. Uh, now, right now, he seems to be coming out of it. The last poll I saw, which I think was Suffolk University last week, had him at 58%. Uh, no on recall, about 41% yes on recall. Um, but that doesn't mean he's out of the woods yet. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's start with this. And by the way, the Los Angeles Times released a poll on Friday uh, that showed uh, new on, no on recall had uh, bumped up to 60%. Uh, what has uh, Newsom's argument against the recall been? What has he been saying? Uh, you're right, he has improved his position uh, since the summer. Uh, what has his campaign message been? Um, it is, you know, as far as the opposition goes, and, and I should say he has right now his um, leading opponent, Larry Elder, is about 30% far ahead of the rest of the field. But Elder is a pro-Trumper. Everybody who is in the um, in the recall side, which there are 46 candidates, all the Republicans are fighting to see who is most like Trump. So Newsom is fighting against uh, that line. Um, Elder is anti-vaxxer. He is uh, anti-mandate. He is 
anti-minimum wage, his anti-choice. Um, and Newsom's numbers on the pandemic have actually started to turn around. It may actually end up being part of what saves him. And it is the number one most important uh, issue to the voters. Uh, but a lot depends on everything for Newsom depends on the turnout in a race where he must get 50% no on the recall to actually survive it. But if he doesn't, and it goes to a replacement candidate, and I'll explain how it works, um, then that person could be elected by 30% of the vote. All they need is a plurality of vote itself. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned the pandemic and uh, compared to uh, states like uh, Florida and Texas, uh, Newsom has done a good job handling the pandemic. Uh, the most recent weekly figures I saw uh, from the Center for Disease Control showed that last week there uh, the daily deaths in Florida averaged 344 daily deaths from uh, COVID, uh, 226 in Texas, uh, 100 uh, from California, which is a bigger state than either Texas or California, compared to 30, only 31 uh, daily deaths in New York. Uh, so one of the things that Newsom and uh, uh, the Democratic governors, including Gavin Newsom, are doing a much better job handling the pandemic uh, than their counterparts in uh, in Florida and Texas what? by a long margin. And I think that's what ends up saving it. Um, oddly, one of the things that started this, or allegedly. Um, but another part of his strategy is how to advise people to vote. So on the ballot, there's just two questions. Do you want to recall Governor Newsom or do you not? Um, and if you do not, then you pick a replacement candidate. Now, in 2003, uh, when Gray Davis was successfully recalled, uh, the Democratic Party decided that they wanted to take a risk and put a viable candidate oh. on that replacement ballot. Um, okay, Kim, we're going to have to go to break now. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to a break for our radio listeners, but we'll be staying here with our TV viewers, uh, with Kim Scott uh, from the Dem List, who's talking about the California recall. We'll be back right after these messages with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, I have not. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is Kimberly Scott, the publisher uh, and head honcho at uh, Demlist and uh, Dem Daily, which comes out every day. Uh, you can, uh, her, Kim's Twitter handle is, uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Dem Daily? Uh, it's the Dem Daily, actually. Uh, if you want to check it out. Okay. Uh, First of all, welcome back to our radio listeners. Uh, if our radio listeners would like to watch the show uh, as well as listen to it, 
we you can either do it at uh, www.periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon uh, tiny uh, on Facebook live at tinyurl.com front slash BB Facebook live and you can also watch this on YouTube at tinyurl.com front slash Brad on YouTube. Uh, uh, we first of all, though, we have another clip. Uh, we have Donald Trump, uh, who was on Newsmax, uh, claiming defeat. Uh, so let's play that clip, Mark. We've got the recall election coming up in less than a week. Uh, it's actually happening as we speak. The polls appear to show Newsom looks safer at this point. Larry Elder is the man uh, that could take it from him. What do you think happens in California? Well, it's probably rigged. They're sending out all ballots. It's all uh, the the ballots are, you know, mail out, mail in ballots. In yeah. fact, I guess you even have a case where you can make your own ballot. When that happens, uh, nobody's going to win except uh, these Democrats. So, you know, look, they're, they're very good. The one thing they're good at is rigging elections. So I predict it's a rigged election. Let's see how it turns out. That was, of course, our disgraced former president, Donald Trump, uh, who thinks the world is in a conspiracy against him uh, and his supporters. Uh, I guess uh, the former president saw the polls uh, and found out that uh, Gav, uh, Gavin Newsom is uh, looking, his prospects for survival looking better, and uh, the former president preemptively declared defeat. What do you make of that, Kim? This is part of the course. I mean, all he is doing is echoing, you know, his his unfounded um, calls of rigging election and of cheating elections and the same with 2020. It's their fallback on what the excuse is. And Elder's already saying the same thing. Um, So he's... Don't you think that's going to discourage Republicans from turning out and voting tomorrow if, uh, you know, Donald Trump and Larry Elder are always already telling people that they've lost? Why bother and go out to vote tomorrow if you're a Republican, if the thing's rigged? Well, I have a sound strategy. Yeah. Uh, But still, parties are doing everything possible to turn out. Everything rests on that. This Newsom has all the advantages. You know, he was originally elected in 2018 by 62%, which was the largest vote of any gubernatorial candidate since 1950. You know, Democrats outnumber Republicans two to one in the state. Biden won the state by 30%. Biden is in the state or on the way to the state to campaign for him now. Uh, and it's for the first time all the voters have actually, because of the pandemic, the voters have actually mailed, been mailed their ballots. Uh, so Newsom has the advantage, but it's all about getting out the vote. And you can you can be sure that both sides are doing everything possible to make that happen. Uh, as you mentioned, there have been high profile visits. Uh, President Biden is in California today campaigning against the recall. Uh, Bernie Sanders has been there. Uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, has been there. We played the clip. Uh, from uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris uh, campaigning for Newsom in her home state. Have those visits made a difference in the race? Uh, I think they definitely make a difference in the, in the turnout. 
Um, and early vote numbers are very high as well. But the bottom line is the party is not going to take make a take any chances on this. It's, it's I said it took a turn, unfortunately a self-inflicted one, the end of last year. Uh, but I think he's pulled it out. You know, I think we're going to see an end result of Newsom with north of 55% in this. Okay, well, that would be good. Now, that leads me to my next question. Uh, presume, let's assume that uh, Newsom does survive the recall tomorrow. Uh, you know, uh, that's going to make uh, Democrats, including me, happy um, and many other Democrats. But uh, California is a strong blue state. It's an, almost impossible for a Republican presidential nominee uh, to win the state's electoral votes. So if Newsom wins tomorrow, uh, as he appears to be on track to do, uh, are there any lessons here for Democrats nationally? Or are we just you know, happy to survive this mess? Yeah, because it, as with any election, it's a measure of where we are in time. So that will be tied to Newsom's. Well, you know, again, the pandemic has turned to his favor and his handling of that now in the second wave, the Delta variant. And so that reflects well on Biden as well. Um, he should be well positioned for uh, re-election. Uh, but as we all know, anything can happen <laughs> between now and then, even in the state, which, uh, you know, two to one Dems over Republicans. Uh, but I do. One other thing that will come out of this is I think that a, a, a change in the recall process is in addition to, uh, you know, this absurd half the threshold of any other state that has a process. Um, you know, the, the money is absurd. There's no campaign limits on these recall elections. There is 48, let's see, $43.8 million spent on supporting the recall, 81.6 million opposed to the recall. Wow. It's, it's, yeah. So the, the, some to the process. And I also think another thing is because this is the first time that all candidate, I mean, all voters were actually mailed their ballot, that we'll also be seeing, I know there's legislation already underway, um, to make that a permanent option with California voters. Okay. And that's to Democrats. Okay. Uh, any final words about uh, California before we go to break, Kim? Good luck, Mr. Newsom. Yeah, we'll... Uh, and get out. Yeah. And if you want hope- to go about the background, uh, I've written twice about it in the last two weeks at uh, Demless.com. Okay. And... Uh, recall reality and call, recalling California. Okay. Uh, read uh, Dem Daily uh, and see what uh, you can read it on Wednesday to find out what Kim uh, thinks about the recall results. Uh, we're going to want to thank Kim for joining us on the show today. Uh, we're going to our halftime break here, uh, but we'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. In the second half of the show, in the second half hour, we have uh, we'll be discussing the political news of the week uh, with the provocative progressive political panel. Uh, Our guests on the panel today are Edwith Theogene, advocacy director of Generation Progress, 
and our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. And I'm Brad Bannon. This half hour is brought, is brought to you by my political polling company, Bannon Communications Research, which polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. First, we have this clip from uh, President Biden uh, talking about the need for vaccination. For pulling your vaccine requirements and overreach, you are threatening to challenge in court. Have at it. Look. I am so um, disappointed that uh, particularly some of the Republican governors have been so cavalier with the health of these kids, so cavalier with the health of their communities. This is, this is, we're playing for real here. This isn't a game. And I don't know of any scientist out there in this field that doesn't think it makes considerable sense to do the six things I've suggested. One of the lessons I hope our students can unlearn is that politics doesn't have to be this way. Politics doesn't have to be this way. They're growing up in an environment where they see it's like a, like a war, like a bitter feud. If the, if the Democrat says right, everybody says left. If Democrats says left, they say right. I mean, it's not how we are. It's not who we are as a nation. And it's not how we beat every other crisis in our history. we got to come together. And I think the vast majority, look at the polling data, the vast majority of the American people know we have to do these things. They're hard but necessary. We're going to get them done. Thank you. That, of course, was President Biden talking about the urgent need uh, for vaccination. Uh, If you'd like to know how bad things would be nationally uh, if Donald Trump had won re-election or if the abortive capital coup had been successful, all you have to do is go to Florida or Texas if you're brave enough. Florida and Texas have GOP governors Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott and Republican state legislators who failed to fight the deadly Delta variant that plagues both Sunbelt states. Florida and Texas lead the nation in a dubious category with the most COVID deaths in the week leading up to Labor Day in the whole nation. There were far more fatalities in Florida and Texas than there were in big states with uh, Democratic governors. Uh, Last week in Florida, uh, there were 344 daily COVID deaths. In Texas, there were 226 daily deaths compared to 100 in only 100 in California and only 31 in New York, which both have Democratic governors. Adding insult to injury and death, both chief executives have threatened and bullied public educators who are trying to do everything they can to protect the health and well-being of the children in public schools. My daughter is a public school teacher, and I'm glad she lives in a state uh, that has mandatory classroom uh, uh, mask uh, requirements. 
Abbott and DeSantis both see their destinies leading to the White House. The dreams of parents are for their children to live long and happy lives. The hopes of mothers and fathers should take precedence over the ambitions of politics. Governors are expendable. The lives of young people are precious. You can read uh, the rest of this column and all my columns to the Hill at muckrack.com front slash Brad Bannon. That's uh, M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K dot com front slash Brad Bannon, all one word. Now it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. Uh, Today on the panel, we have one of my favorite guests, uh, Edward Theogene. Uh, Edwith is the Director of Advocacy for Generation Progress, the youth engagement arm of American Progress. In this role, Edwith works to develop and lead efforts to translate the experiences of young adults into concrete actions that advance progressive policies and increase voter turnout. Uh, Joining Edwith on the panel is our own executive producer and progressive activist, uh, Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Uh, He is also active in campaign finance reform and efforts to promote cancer research. Uh, His Twitter handle uh, is Mark J. Grimaldi. And by the way, Edwith's Twitter handle is who is Edwith. That's who is Edwith, E-D-W-I-T-H. Welcome to the panel, both of you. Edwith, uh, let's start from you. You know, the, in that clip we played, the, the president made a very point. I mean, first of all, the pandemic deaths are horrible. Uh, you know, and spe- you know, I think when he was referring to governors, uh, criticizing governor, unnamed governors uh, for not aggressively fighting the pandemic, he undoubtedly was referring to governors Ron DeSantis in Florida. Uh, and uh, Governor Greg Abbott in California, where, you know, there have been hundreds of COVID just just in the last week. Uh, And it drives me crazy. It just seems to me, you know, besides the horror of COVID and the Delta variant, the the other troubling thing about this is how Americans can't unite in a common purpose to fight this daily pandemic. Uh, you know, I've seen polls where, uh, you know, all sorts of people who identify themselves as Republicans, uh, don't want mask mandates. They don't want to get vaccinated. And meanwhile, uh, people are dying. And it's very troubling to me that there's no sort of common purpose here, uh, to, you know, unite against a, you know, a, a foe, the pandemic, and fight this thing. And it seems to me it says something very t- troubling about the nature of this country. Edwith, what, what do you think? I agree in some aspects. Um, I think what has been happening a lot, especially in social media, there seems to be tons of misinformation, tons of people on either side trying to debunk the other. And I think you're right. Instead of the tension point or the aspect to address is like, how do we protect ourselves against COVID? How do we navigate? I think all of us are scared and worried um, for the safety of our families, for our own personal health and stuff. 
So instead of us trying to address that, it seems like one side is just trying to one up the other. And I don't know if it's as simple to draw the line of being like Democrat versus Republican, but there's definitely like anti, you know, vaccine versus like pro vaccine, you know, and so much misinformation that's out there. So that is really troubling. And as someone from Florida, born and raised, um, and it's like back to school season. I know you shared a couple of like news clippings, but I woke up this morning to specifically see that COVID deaths has more than doubled for Florida kids as they return to the classroom. And that's really sad. Like I'm not a parent, but I have, you know, I went through my Facebook and I love like the first day of back to school to see all my friends like share pictures of their children, you know, going back to school. And it's sad that like as someone from Florida, seeing that my peers are sending their kids back to school within these conditions, it's just it's a sign of the times. And I wish that there was more unity for us to protect the most vulnerable in our communities um, and figure out what that looks like. Like, I know there's a variety of different reasons why people choose to get vaccinated and why people don't. And, you know, I know we'll get into this about like the the nuances of like personal choice and like autonomy. Um, but I do think this is a chance for us to unite and figure out how do we keep each other safe? How do we move forward as a country, you know, instead of tearing each other down? So I do find that troubling too. Uh, Mark, uh, do you think uh, last week uh, President Biden uh, called uh, for people to get vaccinated? Uh, he mandated that federal employees and uh, employees of contractors who uh, uh, do work for the federal government, they need to, they are now required to get vaccinated. Uh, do you think uh, President Biden's efforts are going to have any effect or are there people, the hardcore anti-vaxxers, uh, just going to, you know, keep spreading the disease? I think both. Um, I think you're going to see the numbers move because unfortunately some people, unless you put rules in place and requirements just won't act, even if it's in the best interests of not only themselves, but their community um, with the rule that pl private employers um, of more than 100 employees will have to require either vaccination or a weekly testing um, due to the OSHA rule. You know, we'll see there'll be legal challenges to it, but that's going to be a huge difference, I believe. Um, and the polling is on his side, which I know we're coming up on a break, but I can uh, talk to you more about that when we get okay. back if you want, Brad. Okay, we're going to a break now for our radio listeners. We'll stay, hang in there for our video uh, viewers. Uh, we'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and the provocative progressive political panel right after this break. Welcome back to Deadline DC. Midst of the Pocketive Progressive Political Panel. Our guest on the panel today, our executive producer, Mark Grimaldi, and the advocacy director at Generation Progress, Edward Theogene. Uh, Edward, you were talking about the Texas ban. What, what do you think will happen if the Supreme Court basically dumps versus Roe versus Wade and accepts very stringent uh, state laws uh, that basically wipe out choice? 
I mean, Roe versus Wade was always the floor, not the ceiling of what access to abortion really is. Um, and Roe versus Wade basically allowed four states and for people who are anti-abortion, anti-choice to step in and make it more difficult and challenging for people um, to practice their reproductive autonomy and access abortion care, which is essential health care. So we need like we need a better solution to this. We need actual federal legislation that protects access to abortion, one of which is the Women's Health Protection Act. Um, we know that Nancy Pelosi responded to the Texas bill by saying that she's going to call a vote in the House for the Women's Health Protection Act. So we need to call Congress to make sure that this bill can become law. It needs to pass the House. It needs to move on and pass the Senate. Like we need access to abortion to be protected because the court is not even following precedent at this point. Um, and like you said, uh, we don't know what's going to happen this fall around the Mississippi case. And now I believe there's eight states who are saying that they are excited to see what has happened in Texas. And they're going to be introducing their version of the Texas abortion ban in their states, Florida being one of them. And yeah. I also want us to, to just remember this one nuance in the same time that Texas, um, that this, this uh, abortion ban was allowed to be enacted, we also saw a voter suppression bill pass in Texas as well. So like you have self-determination being chipped away at every aspect within a state like Texas. And I want us to think about what is that going to look like across this country? This is not just something that's happening to Texas. This is, um, I think it implicates the rest of the country as well. And I one last thing, I know this is a lot, but the most egregious thing about the Texas ban is that it supports vigilantes. It, expo it yeah. supports people to go out there. If you... Um, are found to have an abortion, someone can report you for either get receiving an abortion, supporting someone getting an abortion, performing an abortion on someone, and receive ten thousand dollars from the state for uh, for participating in that. That is wild to me. That in this moment they're encouraging that kind of community behavior, and that is a very concerning trend. Um, I feel like it's in alignment with the January sixth insurrection that we saw happen. It's, it's anti-democratic. Like, I can just go on about this. Um, so this yeah, is just what I don't know. It's, it's very, it's very bleak. Uh, Mark, let's uh, change subjects. Uh, today, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, which reported uh, a Democratic uh, House proposal uh, to... Uh, uh, to pay for the president's Build Back Better program, uh, which would cost about three and a half trillion dollars over 10 years. According to the Wall Street Journal, and this must have sent shivers through their listeners, uh, the Democratic House plan would uh, increase the corporate uh, tax from 21 percent to 26 and a half percent. It would impose a 3% surcharge on top uh, earners and raise the capital gains tax. People must have been horrified this morning when they picked up their Wall Street Journal. Um, Mark, uh, you know, it seems to me, I think what people forget is especially in terms of raising the uh, uh, the corporate income tax, that's just reversing something that the Republicans did with Trump's help uh, a few years ago when they lowered the corporate income tax. Now, despite the fact that this program, which is 
urgent and necessary for America's economic and environmental future is going to be funded on the backs of uh, corporate America and very wealthy Americans. There's already, you know, a you and cry from Republicans against this proposal. Uh, what's your take on it, Mark? Well, as so many other things have ended up uh, pointing toward, it's going to, whether or not it can pass, it's going to come down to two senators, um, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and um, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, unfortunately. And I know it sounds like a broken record saying that, but that's just what we're dealing with. You because say that about any number of important pieces of legislation. Exactly. Uh, uh, abortion would be one. Uh, Joe Manchin describes himself as pro-life, uh, which means at least one Democrat will vote against the Pelosi-inspired bill that uh, Edwith mentioned a few uh, uh, minutes ago. It's really frustrating because we saw, you know, what what happened when Republicans were in power. Speaking of taxes, as you brought up, Brad, they had the Trump tax bill, which gave unprecedented tax breaks to the wealthiest. Americans. So, you know, these changes in a lot of ways are simply rolling those back. But of course, the Republican talking point is your taxes are going to be raised when in reality, it's being talked about simply rolling back the Trump tax cuts in a lot of ways, which Republicans and corporations, I have news for you, did damn, damn good with those tax rates and didn't seem to have any problems whatsoever. So I think they'll be just fine if these changes are made, um, regardless of you know what their talking points are. And I want to go back to one thing you talked about earlier, Brad, because it really struck a chord with me, um, reg- if, if you don't mind, reg- uh, regarding the go vaccine ahead. mandates. Um one thing, first of all, there is a huge amount of support in uh, the Associated Press in August found that 55 percent of Americans are in favor of requirement of requiring government workers to be fully vaccinated compared with only 21 percent opposed. And there's similar majorities who backed vaccine mandates for healthcare workers, teachers. Um, but I was reading a post last night. And um, as I mentioned before, I have two young daughters who are four and six, and they can't get vaccinated right now because the vaccine is not available for children under 12 years old. So we've had to make the difficult decision of sending our older daughter to school, but keeping our younger daughter out of school. And she doesn't see any friends. She doesn't see anyone her age. She sees her sister, her mom and her dad, and that's it. And that's our, that's her life until she can get vaccinated. And you have all these other people who can get vaccinated and not only protect themselves, but protect their little ones. Not only do they refuse to protect them, but they also are putting in danger others around them. Um, so this, this a very, um, viral post on Twitter that has gone viral um, in the last two days is from a woman um, who has a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old who both are a month clear of COVID. Um, Her nine-year-old is still getting regular headaches. Her 13-year-old can't smell or taste food. Um, And these are the, the, the children who survive and who don't die. There's heart problems, permanent heart damage, lung damage. And these this is these long COVID uh, cases. People don't know what the future is going to hold for the rest of their children's lives. And that's just the children. So when President Biden was talking about these Republican governors playing games with people's lives, a child is completely innocent. They can't make these decisions for themselves. They rely completely on the adults who are their parents and their guardians and their teachers and their elected officials. So if they are going to be the, at the point of being 
their health being neglected in places like Florida and Texas, that, that literally could kill them or at least permanently damage them for the rest of their lives. So that's, that's what's at stake when this, this conversation happens. And I just think we've been talking about it so long that I think sometimes that type of detail and that type of specific situation and danger gets lost on people. So I just wanted to share that. So thank you for letting me do so. And with, yeah, I wanted to add to that too, that like, um, we look at people who say that they're pro-life, but yet they're constantly putting other people's lives at risk. And it makes me wonder what does that really even mean to you? Right. Let's look at again, Texas, a place that um, wants to fight against the vaccination mandate. They want to fight against like mask wearing, but they want to protect the life of what they consider to be the unborn, which also puts the lives of living like at risk sometimes. So it's really kind of like fascinating to me. And then the other, like with the 10,000, like people are hungry, people need economic support. So you're encouraging them to basically interrupt other people's lives and rights so that they can get an additional $10,000. Like it is just wild. And I, I feel for you, Mark, like I really do. Like when I saw the article about Florida, like I just, I just can't imagine being a parent in these times yeah, and sending your child to school and like not being able to have, you know, like to keep them safe. Yeah. And I, you know, that's it's just tough. very hard. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's a very difficult situation. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, are, you know, my daughter was telling me she's a high school teacher, public high school, uh, in an inner city, which means most of her students take mass transit, uh, to get to school. And, you know, she said, it's really hard, everybody wearing their mask, but you got to do it because you got to protect the children. I mean, they're our future. Anyway, that's it for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon today. I want to thank our guests, Kimberly Scott, Edward Theogene from Generation Progress, and our own Mark Bermaldi. Uh, Leslie will be back tomorrow. I think I'm going to be on the show with Leslie. Uh, watch Deadline DC next Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, or the podcast anytime on Periscope TV at periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. 